Hello everyone and welcome to another Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of your favorite pieces from many video game soundtracks that we've enjoyed over the decades. This Sound of Play is a very special Sound of Play. Uh, it's the Monster Hunter Special and it's episode 250. Uh, and joining me for this very special uh, edition of Sound of Play is Rich Davidson. Hello. Happy to be here. Very excited for this one. Very big fan of Monster Hunter and all the series. Yes, you've been a huge help getting me through Monster Hunter World and Iceborne. Although, I, I you've like completely ace these monster hunter games in a way that i will never ever hope to accomplish it's a difficult one because i don't like to profess my fandom because usually that <laughs> introduces some sort of element of competition where people call me out on it i like to think i'm just a, a very um mediocre hunter who's just happened to have spent thousands upon thousands of hours <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again so there's a degree of competency but perhaps not expertise so the first track that everyone will have already listened to is the monster hunter main theme proof of a hero that has featured in multiple uh, uh titles in the series um but this is specifically um the track from monster hunter the first monster hunter um and this was composed by masato koda um this was one of your picks, Rich. Um, what 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 drew you to this one? Oh, the, the the song is just so so triumphant, and it's a it's something that's kind of persisted through the the rest of the series, as you mentioned, and it's kind of almost like a Pavlovian response. Every time I hear it, I get jazzed, I get pumped, and then they've sampled it in some of the actual game elements. So when you defeat a monster, for example, you know that this this sort of sting, this track's going to come, and it's going to give you that sort of nice bit of uh, energy and enthusiasm that you need for doing a, a really good job. Um, I love this track. It is very John Williams Superman, though, if you've ever heard it. It's got that same kind of building, almost crescendo. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I Yeah, I John Williams was like the first thing I thought of just listening it to it uh, before this recording. It has that really strong melody um, that it gets peppered in um, through... Uh, like in Monster Hunter World, especially, like there there are like loads of tracks where that just specific melody that like I just associate with Monster Hunter now is just peppered in throughout, and it's that like it's that John Williams like bombast, but not like you're not being kind of bombarded by instruments. There's like a very clear instrument palette, but it's still like um, like it's like. It's forceful, it's powerful, it's really like it's really good stuff. Yeah, and to pick up on uh, that kind of theme at, at this point as well, you're probably going to get a sense of this all, all through the next 19 tracks that you hear <laughs> throughout the show as well, yeah. So he started out with the Monster Hunter main theme to kind of set the tone for the special. Um, but we're going to do something a little bit unique with the structure for this special. So normally with these, with these sounds of plays, we tend to kind of go through the history of the series. But with Monster Hunter, because every game shares so many of these beasts, um, and there's so many different iterations of the same pieces of music, rather than going entry by entry and kind of picking favorite tracks from um, from those those releases, um, we're going to use the monsters themselves to provide the structure of this special. So we're going to pick out a particular uh, piece of music associated with a monster. Um, uh, we'll give 
give credit to where that that first piece of music uh you know comes from which game um it originates from um but ultimately we're going to pick our favorite versions of that track as it appears in the series um and just to break things up, though, because otherwise it would just be all bombast, all exhausting music. We will also pepper in some of our favorite kind of relaxation uh, music that features in the hubs, um, areas where you craft stuff, that kind of thing. So it's not going to be all battle music. Um, there will be some moments of rest so that we can recuperate and go into the next fight with charge blade in hand. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- we thought this was probably the best structure for um, this particular special. Not something that uh, you, you know is going to work for other specials in future, but as a one-off it's I thought it was an interesting experiment. Let's see how it goes, Rich. Yep. Um, so the next track is another one of your picks, Rich. Um, this is The Time Has Come, which acts as the introduction to um, one of the most powerful dragons in the original uh, Monster Hunter, Fatalis. Um, this is also uh, composed by Masato Koda. Tell us a bit why you why you love this track, Rich. So it's it's interesting because it sort of covers the full span of the Monster Hunter sort of gamut, the full range of the types of instrumentals that you're likely to hear, and then that sort of combination of incredibly passive, dulcet music and then just bombast right at the end. It's a fascinating piece of music. It's got the Ilium pipes at the beginning that gives it that very kind of rustic Gaelic theme that you would expect from something that's supposed to be almost representative of, of that hunter-gatherer kind of society that exists in Monster Hunter. And then you've got that monster itself, the Fatalis, which is just that huge hulking, black, long-necked, long-tail, hyper-aggressive dragon that you come to expect when you're at the end game of any Monster Hunter. I'm so used to, and because and this is the way that Monster Hunter World tends to lean, and it's the entry along with four that I'm most familiar with. I'm so used to the monster introductions and the monster, you know, battle themes just immediately like, you know, they don't bury the lead. It's like bombast right from the first note of the track. So having that kind of slow build up with this track, it it gives the feeling of something old kind of waking up and uh, something powerful something threatening but it's like it's it's it doesn't need to rush like it's so powerful that it doesn't need to immediately go on the offensive it can just slowly take its time to get you know get ready prepare before it destroys you <laughs> and that's the that's the key there isn't it yeah. yeah 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 so this is the time has come from uh, monster hunter 1 
this next track is associated with uh, a monster that is a huge fawn in my side, um, both figuratively and literally. Um, uh, this is the twin-horned raging tyrant of the desert, which is, of course, associated with Diablos. Um, this is uh, composed by Yoku uh, Komayama. Um, uh, this first originated in Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, which came out in 2008. What I love about this track, I'll let you talk in a minute, Rich, but what I love about this track is that I can feel the sand <laughs> like just like bursting out of the ground and the, the imagery of this awful like rhinoceros slash serpent kind of slivering through the sand and then just bursting out and decimating hunters. I I like obviously this is kind of the instrument palette for this track. Um I think is very typical for any music kind of set in a desert environment or um or you know sand or what have you. But it's not kind of the actual melody itself still stands out and it's still identifiably kind of unique um for you know what monster hunter is doing yeah yeah so the the instruments that you talk about are the the oud and the yeah. mismar being the sort of uh sort of, uh, middle eastern guitar and that reed instrument at the same point i, I think this yeah. track's wonderful and for me yeah. it's because you are going to fight so many of these diablos across your uh, monster hunter career that if it was pure bombast from the very beginning it would be absolutely exhausting to be able to do that and i think i can almost vi- like vividly picture some of that kind of uh scene that you're sitting there with your words because this monster is just a beast it is huge it's got massive horns on its side it's got that club tail and it will just burrow through the sand and just just absolutely destroy you within uh seconds if you put your guard down but the most fascinating part about this monster albeit one of the most aggressive monsters and particularly monster hunter unite is it's a vegetarian it's actually um a herbivore (laughs) so it's one of those sort of nice dichotomies between hyper aggressive dragon and uh weird herbivore monster thing that you've got to fight at the same point great stuff i love that it's a herbivore because like you know like hippos rhinoceroses elephants they're often talked about as being actually the most dangerous animals that you Mm. can encounter in africa so like just take like instead of every single herbivore just being these like passive like iguanodon looking creatures or like mammoths or something that you can kill in like three hits just having no this herbivore herbivore means business like it can defend itself it can wreck shop and just having like the equivalent of a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus kind of represented in this this world is just really compelling yeah not every monster needs to be predatory sometimes they're just defending their turf and it's a great example of where you've got a little bit of thought put into that sort of character phenotype because it's built for defense there's no kind of sharp teeth it's got almost like a beak like something that wouldn't necessitate ripping uh teeth that you would have in a a, a, a carnivore for example so it just sort of fits nicely elegantly in the world and the law that they build in there cool so this is the twin horned raging tyrant of the desert from monster hunter freedom unite <laughs> Thank you. 
So we're going to calm down a bit. We're going to chill out. We're going to, you know, put our weapons down, eat some steak, and uh, journey to Pokey Village. Um, Pokey Village uh, composed by Akihika Narata. Um, this is, again, a track from Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. So, Rich, like, what, 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 what drew, drew you to this track? I don't think it's just me, necessarily. It seems to be a bit of a fan favourite. And when you look at any of the sort of uh, downstream games, there's always, like, a reorchestrated version of this, and it seems to be something that's quite pervasive on YouTube at the same point. I mean, no getting around this. It's just a beautiful dulcet piece of music that really kind of takes the edge off the hunt at the same point and represents the the village quite nicely so it's a place where you can just down tools you can tend to your farm you can hang out with your palico friends make sure that everybody's ready to go go to the guild hall for example get ready it's just great stuff in this instance i've chosen to keep the original version which is from monster of freedom unite so it's got that psp tone it's got the uh, midi samples for example and I, I would imagine that there's some incredible orchestrated versions that exist out there but there's just something nice about that wailing sort of tone of this the way that the notes bend it just makes you feel really calm and at peace yeah i what i like about this track cuz most of the um the uh, Monster Hunter hub themes that I'm most familiar with tend to be a bit more jaunty mm. and a bit more like, you know, you, it's like <laughs> you're going to like a food festival or something. Like it's a bit like, it's very relaxed, you know, everything's calm, everything's peaceful, but it's high energy. Yeah. It's still like, you know, we're, we're, we're partying, we're having a good time. This is much more chilled out and much more relaxed. Um, and yeah, it, it was nice to hear something, you know, from, I, I haven't played Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, so it was nice to hear a kind of hub theme tune that kind of stri- struck a different tone, um, and struck a different vibe and, and communicated something a little bit different about the place that it's set. Right. So this is Pokey Village from Monster Hunter Freedom Unite.
Right, we're going back into the fight. Um, we're we're go- heading into the jungle um, to fight the Black Panther, Naga Kuga, which is uh, a track composed by Akihiko Narita, again. So this is, again, from Monster to Freedom Unite. Um, I, it's striking me how many great pieces of music are from uh, this particular game. I, I, I picked this track mainly because of the, the creature itself. Uh, I think it does such a great job of evoking one of my favorite monster designs um, in the series. Naga Kuga, for those who aren't familiar, I mean, the name is so great because the name actually evokes it as well. It looks like a panther. It looks like a winged panther stalking through the undergrowth. And uh, like it has like some bat-like features to it. I think the ears are quite bat-like, and the, it's got like a beak um, at the front. But just the way it animates and the way it moves is very cat-like. It feels like a big cat stalking you. What the track does such a good job of communicating is that kind of the wild beast in the forest, like stalking you in the undergrowth that it could at any moment kind of slip away and hide in the bushes but then kind of strike out with like a huge amount of ferocity and and speed and quickness and i think that's what i like about this track is it it communicates a lot about how fast this creature is but how its ability to just kind of run off and into the forest and and complete you know completely like lose you i mean some of this is mainly conveyed in the cut scenes rather than <laughs> the battle the battles themselves you're mainly just like squaring off against it but like that feeling of like the ambush predator the predator that doesn't just tough it out the one that kind of hit hits and runs uh, does a hit you know engages in hit and run tactics and then just gets the hell out of there yeah we've got a lot of the same notes you and i here i think one of the things that i would say about this piece of music is that it sort of conveys that sense of like almost aloofness about nagakuga yeah. that really comes through in the actual animations and those cutscenes as well it's um cautious and, and careful in its nature and the way that it approaches you i i happen to think it's a bit of a, a dos this enemy in the sense that it's probably not as so it's it's sort of mid to lower tier it sort of occupies that unusual place in that um mission structure that you're probably less likely to fight this thing um unless you want to grind out some materials for its armor but it's a it's almost like a beautiful design it's got that real sort of sleek black fur it's got that barbed tail where it can fire spikes at you and it's got those glowing red eyes that leave a trail and i'm not sure there's any other monster that that does that and it, it sort of really conveys that sense that it can see you and you might not be able to see it in the undergrowth and such it's an interesting monster itself because it's kind of had a little bit of a, a, a transformation depending on which monster hunter you, uh, which of the games rather you go into so in monster hunter world for example it inflicts bleed damage but in some of the other games it has uh, almost like a different element like poison and water so it's it's got that versatility and, and something that obviously the designers want to bring in as often as they possibly can so this is the black panther naga kuga from monster hunter freedom unite
this is the most anime track um, in Monster Hunter for me. Yep. Maybe maybe you could argue for another one, but um, I like this is the most of the tracks that we're covering today are quite orchestral, kind of traditional, kind of classical music. This is like hard rock anthem music and it feels like it would play during an episode of Naruto or something like that. Um, but I love it. I, I think it's like, it's so clearly, like it's so unique um, and it's so um, full of energy and it conveys the kind of, like Zenoga, um, the creature that we're talking about. And the track is called Zenoga Battle by uh, Ryo uh, Uritani. It's, it, it conveys that lightning power that this like electricity wolf has. Um, and I, I really like this piece of music in spite of the fact that I'm not actually a huge fan of this fight. Um, Monster Hunter fans may crucify me for saying this, but um, I, I, find Zenoga to be incredibly frustrating to fight. Um, that whole charge-up thing that he does, and then he ch changes phase, so he's, like, fully charged up, and he's just relentless. And I just, like, I struggle with that fight every time I engage him. And I'm not actually a huge fan of the design either. Yeah, I agree. Like, ev every, every other monster hunter feels like... Every other monster, sorry. Every other monster feels like it's well-observed in terms of, like, taking influence from creatures that exist in the real world or at least at one point exist there's a lot of like dinosaur dna in monsters in monster hunter but also like there's some you know tiger dna there's the wolf dna there's all sorts of, like one of the um elder dragons looks like a chameleon like they do such a good job of observing like real life creatures this feels like completely like a teenage boy drew it like do you yeah, know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of cool I, I i sort of like it so they brought it back in monster hunter world iceborne as, as a sort of very high tier enemy which is interesting because it's it's similar to nagakuga in the last track it occupies that lower to sort of mid tier where you're going to basically fill the majority of your game out fighting them a lot it feels interesting in that there's quite a lot of cool stuff going on in that fight that you wouldn't normally see. So I don't know if you can remember a great deal about it, but you can stagger this enemy, cause it to land on its back, and you can run around the back and use your bug net to capture yeah. a rare fulgur bug, which is something that is only found with um, with Zenoga. But it is a frustrating fight because it's got so many unique animations that don't exist elsewhere, like electric bolts or electric sort of orbs that arc out in a bizarre direction that isn't necessarily complementary for the games that they're on or those weird backflip maneuvers that you don't find elsewhere it, it's just a frustrating thing the music however just to go back to yeah. that i think is <laughs> absolutely uh opposite of exactly what the fight is so you've got that electric guitar which feels representative of of Zenoga itself it's a it's an electric beast so there's there's nothing too um bizarre about the combination there but you get that sense of like monster hunter reverting back to sort of almost like ethnic um instruments so there's like a birimbau which is that brazilian string instrument that you see in in the capoeira matches that kind of bleeds through throughout there so it's um, not dissonant, but it's not regular and not necessarily representative of all of Monster Hunter, but it still works. So this is Zenoga Battle, which I have to imagine is a reference to Ogre Battle. But anyway, this is Zenoga Battle from Monster Hunter Portable Third. 
You could be mistaken if you listened halfway through our next track um, for thinking it was from like some kind of Donkey Kong game Absolutely. or something, I yeah. think. Yeah. So the next track we're going to talk about is Golden Mane, um, which is the theme for Rajang. Um, this was composed by Akahika Narita. Uh, so the track that we're going to use um, is from Monster Hunter World Iceborne, but it originates from Monster Hunter 2. But the composer credits remain the same. Like I said, um, this this track really evokes Donkey Kong. like, And that makes sense because Rajang is this big, giant uh, ape. The actual design of Rajang um, is really heavily inspired by the giant apes in Dragon Ball Z. I'm apologies, Dragon Ball Z fans. I know they have a name, um, but I I don't know what it is. But I I realized that the design, the whole like yellow mane, is like it going Super Saiyan. So there's a lot of like Dragon Ball Z DNA in the design of this fight. But even if you don't like Dragon Ball Z, I just uh, I I love the kind of speed and ferocity of this creature, um, like the it's just the 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 pure kind of bomb bombastic silliness of this ape just lifting up a giant boulder and throwing it at you um, in a way that I like I know that Devil Joe like kicks boulders towards you but there was something like really superhuman about this creature just lifting up a boulder above its head and throwing it at me and and the track which which it kind of communicates like this dual nature to this creature because it's like in some parts like really funny and silly like like there's this percussion percussion in this tune that feels kind of like jokey and silly but then like there's this air of fret that comes from like the horns in the track so it's like it, it, yeah it's it, and it but those two things kind of work well like work together really well like it this creature can have this dual identity of being both kind of funny and silly but also really really threatening and those two things not be uh, um clashing with each other yeah it's it's probably the most anthropomorphic of any of the monsters in Monster Hunter World Iceborne and similarly in in earlier series where you've got the likes of Kongalala and the other uh, monkey yeah. kind of stereotype that are, oh, sorry, ape stereotype that are, I'm not quite familiar with from, from myself now. And I think that kind of um, sort of stand-up bass, sort of jazz, scat jazz type theme really works well to convey that kind of humanity behind this particular monster itself. But be under no illusion, this is among the most aggressive and most challenging monsters in any of, of Monster Hunter and, and specifically a Monster Hunter world, Iceborne. It has um, its regular ability where it's incredibly dangerous. It's just a, a sort of dark head uh, ape type thing. And then it goes Super Saiyan. And the fun thing about it going Super Saiyan, of course, is that you can't damage it unless you hit its tail. And if you're a Lance user like I am, you are going to find it exceptionally difficult. And just when you think you've got the measure of Rajang, it also has a rage mode, which means that it becomes even more aggressive. So it is one of those things where you need to be on point. You cannot make a mistake because it will gently, gently beast you and make you humble at any moment's notice. What a great fight, though. So this is Golden Mane from Monster Hunter World Iceborne.
heading to the beach, Rich. We're going to go fishing. Just chill out for a sec. Um, our next track is Village on the Sea by Yuko Komiyama and Ryo Uritani. Um, this is from Monster Hunter Free. Rich, why did you pick this track? It's similarly to Pogo Village, you will hear this tune a lot because it is the hub world um, township theme from Monster Hunter 3. It's really cool and it's really representative of a different style that matches up with the different geography of Monster Hunter 3, which is set in an almost sort of Southeast Asian uh, setting. So you've got those really interesting use of steel drums, um, that MIDI flute and, and a little bit of mandolin there that gives you that sense of you're in an exotic environment. I just think it's a wonderful tune, a complete departure from some of the town themes that you would normally get. And and similarly, the, the, the conversation we had a bit earlier, that Astera theme, which is really upbeat. It's just gentle. It's calming. It brings you down to earth before you go into your next fight. I got big Wind Waker vibes from this track. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that as well. Obviously, I think it's kind of going for a similar instrument palette uh, to that game. Trying to again, trying to evoke the kind of the relaxation of being out in the open water and out, uh, you know, out on a boat with a fishing rod and just chilling for a sec before a giant sea creature just leaps out of the water and kills you. Um, because that's the world that these people live in. Um, so this is Village on the Sea from Monster Hunter Free. This next track is from a monster in a fight that I don't like. 
Um, so uh, it's um, Yen that rides the Sea of Sand, um, which is the theme for Yen Moran. Um, this is composed by Yuko Komiyama, um, again from Monster Hunter 3. I so I really like this piece of music. I think it really conveys the scale. This uh, Yen Moran, if you're not familiar um, with the creature, is basically a giant sand like desert whale. Like it dives into the desert um, like a like a humpback whale, um, and you fight the thing um on like uh like a sand crawl like a sand crawler or a sand ship or whatever yep. you want to call it and the fight itself it, it it kind of it kind of fits into these these boss battles that are kind of more set pc than actually like engaging with the familiar mechanics of monster hunter there's a lot of like using cannons and and uh, ballistas and stuff like that um and i i don't find that stuff particularly interesting um that you know there's a bit towards the end of the fight where it's like coming towards you um like you have to defend this area you're off the ship and it's just kind of coming towards you which is a bit more interesting but generally i'm not a big fan of this fight um but the music's great um i think it's fantastic yeah, and, and it, you're right, it isn't representative of 99% of the rest of the Monster Hunter series, but I think it's just an interesting use of some of the actual core mechanics. So, for example, it's that typical siege battle that you tend to find on Monster Hunter. You've got the cannons, yeah. as you mentioned, the use of the Dragonator, that inevitably somebody on your party will almost always mistime thus completely <laughs> screwing it up for you. But there's things like the 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 Gemaran itself will move, maneuver towards the, the sand ship i guess is the right way to say it and you can jump on it you can mine rare materials from it and then of course there's the the second stage as you mentioned where the monster's slowly making its way towards you you can damage it with cannons and dragon it similarly and crawl into its mouth and mine i think it's just an interesting just an interesting sort of departure a sort of creative use of some of the mechanics that are there and and moving forward i think um it's also bizarre that it's the sort of elite boss sort of final battle of Monster Hunter Tri, Monster Hunter 3, which is a game that's predominantly about being set in water. So it's very dissonant in nature. And I have to say I'm a big fan of the water mechanics, and I know that's a controversial opinion because it never made a reappearance, but hey <laughs> So this is Yen that rides the Sea of Sand from Monster Hunter 3.
so excited, Rich. <laughs> I know. This I don't is... know why you like Bracadios as much as you do. I love Bracadios. How can you not love Bracadios? So our next track is uh, Battle Bracadios um, by uh, Marika Suzuki, uh, Maweko uh, Chidwan, and uh, Rio, uh, Rio Yurotani. So this uh, first appeared in Monster Hunter Free Ultimate, um, but the track that we're using is Monster uh, features in Monster Hunter World Iceborne. So the reason why... So first of all, I just really love Bracadios. Um, I think it's one of my favourite designs and favourite... From both like an aesthetic uh, standpoint, I just really like the way Bracadios looks, um, but also from a mechanical standpoint. Um, so Bracadios is like this giant blue triceratops that, uh, that stands on its hind legs instead of all fours. And it's fists have been shaped through some kind of weird evolutionary um, uh, branch into bony boxing gloves. And it also has saliva, which is effectively nitroglycerin. So it slavers its bony fist with nitroglycerin and then punches you. And not only do you get punched and that, you know, sends you flying, you're now covered in nitroglycerin and will explode at any second. And when he gets really angry uh, at some point in the fight, you don't even have to wait for the nitroglycerin to set off. He just punches you and you explode. Um, and it's incredible. It's just such a creative idea um, for a monster. And then the track, I just, I love that it feels like somebody punching me. <laughs> like it feels like, um, like this giant triceratops just pounding me into the ground. Uh, phrasing. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love the percu- percussion. I love, um, the bombast of this track. It just really stands out to me. And I think the Monster Hunter World Iceborne is a uh, version of it is, is easily my favorite. I think they added some kind of drama to it um that i i don't think was present in the original recording um yeah i i love this track in my notes pre pre-recording i've written here an interesting track that makes you feel like an underdog in a boxing match so it's interesting that we've arrived at the same conclusion but one of the the big um reservations that i've got about this is is your um description of bracadios is given as somebody who clearly isn't a lance user somebody who clearly uses <laughs> yeah. a switch axe because this thing will not allow me to move so if you're using a lance you usually have a huge shield and you have absolutely no mobility and what bracadios will do is he will dominate the landscape around you by putting those um, pools of explosive material around there that gently glow from this luminous green to red, which sort of indicates that they're about to explode. If you don't have the mobility, this is going to be a very miserable battle for you. And that's exactly the way that I find every single fight that I have a Brachydios. For me, it's something to get through. But what I will acknowledge is the design is absolutely impeccable. And it's one of the only monsters that's blue. And it's got that really cool uh, luminous green to offset that. And it's something that you don't find elsewhere. So it's just a really cool, interesting fight to get into. This is Battle Bracadios from Monster Hunter Free Ultimate.
That's our friend, the pickle. <laughs> it's uh, this next track is World Eater, which is the theme for the Devil Joe. Um, this is composed by Marika Suzuki, Moeko Chinwan, and Rio Yuritani. Um, this fe- first featured in Monster Hunter 3, and we are using the original version of the track um, today. Rich, do you have, what, what, what's your opinion of the pickle? What's your opinion of Devil Joe? Uh, terrifying. I think um, my first battle with it was probably in Monster Hunter 3 on the Wii. Yeah, on the Wii. And it was one of those late game bosses that made its way into the rotation once every, I don't know, a week or so as like a seasonal boss. It is a incredibly, incredibly violent and intimidating and hungry monster. And it's one of the only instances where you can reliably use tainted meat or um, meat that's been laced with paralysis stuff just to try and get the measure of it. I think it is an incredible design and I think it's the the most uh, sort of bipedal dinosaur like in its nature it doesn't have wings it just charges and it'll use dragon blight which is a um, an ailment or a status effect that essentially makes you more susceptible to dragon type moves which is what it is um, but it yeah. also reduces any of the affinity on your weapons so it reduces that critical nature and takes away any of the status effects that you might have imbued your weapons with coolest thing about devil Joe, however is in monster Hunter world when they introduced him Devil Joe will attack you with other monsters that you previously fought yeah. and found incredibly difficult. So it's this beautiful kind of like apex predator type thing that you look at and you're like, wow, okay, I'm using, uh, I'm, I'm having to defend myself against a monster that is using a monster as a weapon against me. I, uh, I watched this video that was put out by the Capcom, I, I think, community management team that was uh, just all about Devil Joe. And uh, one of the uh, the people on the video said the the reason why Devil Joe is such a great design is because it feels like it was designed by a ten year old. Yeah. In that it's just like, what if you had the biggest T Rex ever and it fired lasers at you and looked like <laughs> a chainsaw? Is... <laughs> yeah, that's what Devil Joe is, and I couldn't agree more. It's like it's such a simple design. Like it's not too flashy in terms of like like there's a real danger when you're trying to design something iconic that you over design it you put too much on like oh let's have four wings instead of two let's let's have it have like claws coming out of its eyelashes or something like that (laughs) no like it's just a really elegant simple design um that obviously very much evokes both you know the Jurassic Park T-Rex and a little bit of Godzilla um but they haven't overcomplicated it it's just raw muscle teeth and spikes and that's all you need <laughs> going back to the track like uh, one of one of your notes on this was that the the track is clearly heavily inspired um by the original Gojira uh, uh music um in the 1950s film and yeah, like it it feels like this is like this is my favorite piece of Godzilla music that isn't actually associated yeah. with Godzilla. Like that feeling of something like every mon- Monster Hunter piece of piece of Monster Hunter music does a good job of conveying the threat of or the speed or the aggression of the beast. What I like about this track is that it conveys that this thing is way more powerful than you and you should just run the hell away. Yeah. 
like this is this is like you're fighting a kaiju you're not you're not just fighting some tiger or you know a lion in the wilderness this is a monster beyond any you know beyond um anything that you're you're prepared to fight and like and in most cases when you've you know fought him early on or encountered him early on in monster hunter 3 that's exactly what you should be doing like you're you, like you encounter this thing way before like you're meant to actually take him on so like the fact that the music kind of instinctively like sets off alarm bells in your brain and get, makes you want to just run the hell away it's such a like it's a good use of not only is the music evoking uh uh, the monster but it's actually kind of communicating something to the player in terms of you are not ready run away yeah quite and I think what you find in, in most monster hunters is you get that bombast from that deep brass that's supposed to give you that volume and size of the monster you're fighting playing yeah. in with a lot of the strings and I like to think that they almost represent the kind of fragility of the player in this it's actually quite a discreet piece of music in comparison to the rest of them, which gives it this almost sinister feeling of, yeah, you are going to get it over here. You just, you just need to get out there. So I think I can completely agree with your observations. So this is World Eater from Monster Hunter 3. The next uh, piece of music is Battle Tigrex. Um, this is the Tigrex theme, from uh, w which was composed by Akahika Narita. So this first featured in Monster Hunter Freedom 2. The track that we're using is from Monster Hunter World Iceborne, however. So I'm going to hold up my hand and say this is another monster that I'm not actually a huge fan of. Um, in terms of just the fight itself, uh, I really like the design. I think Tigrex has one of the more kind of iconic looks to him. Um, I I like the. It looks like an Allosaurus or a T-Rex head just attached to a dragon, which I just find inherently appealing. Um, I like the stripy design. I like the way it animates. I like the the power it conveys and its movement. 
but I just find this fight to be massively frustrating because I just uh, that roar that he does that uh, just completely disables you and he's just on you the whole time. I just don't feel like I ever have a break with him. Um, yeah, I uh, not a big fan of the fight. And must confess, the music doesn't stand out to me um, hugely. So I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on this, Rich. So I've sort of picked this one ironically because I have exactly the same thoughts about both the music and the monster itself. And the reason I've chosen it is because I think everyone who's played Monster Hunter in any capacity against the Tigress has exactly the same thought. It's usually an audible groan because it's the first... Yeah obstacle that you're going to come across with any real uh, challenge followed by a sense of I I never want to fight this thing again Tigrex is uh, a combination of a, a Nagakuga style body with a, a dinosaur's head it has no status effects it has no specific abilities it is just aggression and yeah. the only kind of thing that we'll do is as you mentioned use those raw that has that c- concussive effect to this day, I still struggle with that thing, and I must have fought it what hundreds of different times across many different iterations of the game. The way that I get through it, of course, is just to try and leverage the environment, get its teeth stuck into different walls, use traps, use jumping, all sorts of things to try and take care of it. I think it was an interesting omission for Monster Hunter World because while it's not my favourite and seems to be sort of lamented uh, across the, the fandom, it's something that has kind of per- been pervasive throughout the series the the track you're right i don't think it's particularly very strong but i think it's a it's a good representation of how they've used some motifs from different music across different mediums to try and represent what this is it is a tiger it is a t-rex it's a combination of the two it's a tigrex and you've got that brass kind of going through there that really sort of evokes that prehistoric time in films you know stop motion animations like the lost world it's just in there and i think it's just a, a sort of cool bit of music that loops cool so this is is Battle Tigrex from Monster Hunter Freedom 2. We're going to head back to the flat 
uh, check in with our palico. We're gonna, you know, put some fish, feed the fish, or put the fish in the pond. We're just gonna sort out our, you know, our little private area. So the next track is "Gorgeous Days" private suite. Um, this was composed by uh, Akihiko Narita and uh, Zenlan Kang. Um, and this first featured in Monster Hunter World. This is the music that plays whenever you go back to your own private quarters. It's very serene, really clashes with the uh, the hub world music um, for Monster Hunter World uh, quite dramatically. But I like it because like, uh, I, I most associate this piece of music with little long-eared lemurs just running around my place <laughs> yeah. um, because I just love those little... The, I don't, they probably have a proper name. Apologies, Monster Hunter, uh, Lore, Aficionados. Um, but the, the long-eared lemur things, um, I just collected a bunch of them with the, the, the net and just put plonk them everywhere. And it's just funny seeing like two of them hang out by the fireplace and then having like giant tuna in my fish pond um, and, you know, birds flying around the flowers and stuff like that. Like I, I kind of most associate this track with the sereneness, sereneness and relaxation that comes from being around my pets um, and um, wild animals that have no right to be in, in captivity, but they seem to be cool with it. It's a track that you you don't automatically have it. I think you need to make your way some way through the game in order to get enough yeah. Palico friends or progression to be able to get there. And I agree, it is totally dissonant with the rest of the, the track. But I like to think that um, Akihiro Norita and Zenyan Kang kind of made this apropos of nothing and thought, this is so beautiful, we've got to find a way to get it in there. How are we going to do it? Let's get a choir and an orchestra of Palico friends <laughs> to be able to do that for you. It is a track that kind of stops me and commands my attention. And when I go into my private quarters and I don't have furry mammals like Josh does, I've usually got little worms that you find in the coral highlands just flailing around by the fireplace. I just think it's it's gorgeous. Take some time to watch the palico on the harp. And for those who don't know, a palico is uh, a cat. It's a cross between a calico and a pal. And they are your friends who have made uh, a pack with all the hunters to support them in any capacity be that as a hunter with you, an uh, incredibly useful hunter as well, or a chef who cooks you pre-battle <laughs> food. It's just, it's just great stuff. And, and I chose this track uh, partly because it's, it's incredibly beautiful and partly because it's representative of the Palicos. So this is Gorgeous Day's Private Suite from Monster Hunter World. Thank you. 
we're gonna we're gonna go diving into the corpse of an elder dragon now <laughs> as we uh, fight the Odegaran. Um So this next track is Murmurs from the Land Forgotten, um, which is actually associated with um, more than one monster, but I feel like most people associate it with the Odegaran. Um, I agree, because yeah. that's the, the that's the highlight fight from this area, um, and this track was uh, composed by Akihiko uh, Narita again, and uh, the Odogaran made its debut appearance in Monster Hunter World. I love this piece of music. Um, I feel like out of the early monsters, you know, before things get really really hard, um, this is one of the most clearly identifiable tracks um it has like a little bit of that kind of poppy rocky feel to it that the zenoga track has but not quite as full-on anime as that one it feels more in keeping with the tone of the rest of the game and it conveys the kind of like weirdness of the Odegaran's design like it's really aggressive um it's it's uh very fast but like for to describe it for those who haven't played Monster Hunter World it's like a skinless dog or like a skinless tiger it's kind of like com- combination of the two because there, there there's some cool animations that it does where it's like prowling slowly and it really reminded me of like uh, Sheer Khan from the Jungle Book like stalking uh, stalking Mowgli uh, but then it will will do these animations that remind me of like a Labrador or a dog um and it, yeah, just having those like two animals together, it's like it, it, it conveys like this weird identity that it has. Um, but like the ferocity of it, like the, it has like claws upon claws. Like it has like, so the, the main danger with the Odegaran is that it inflicts like bleed damage, which is depicted by it having like talons growing out of its talons. And I like that um, the 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 track really conveys like this like like aggressive violence of this creature. Like when it hit, like it's gonna be caught. Like Odogaran like tends to kind of slow down a little bit. Like it will take a moment to breathe. But when it goes in, it goes in full on, and you you are more than likely to get bleed damage. And if you're not, you know, fighting alongside some friends. Uh, it can be really hard to deal with bleed and and get it, you know, unless you have uh, some jerky on hand. It can be really hard to get rid of that eff- uh, effect um, and create enough spe- space between you and the Odegaran to to do that. But yeah, I I love this piece of music, Rich. What what do you think? So the music itself is is fascinating. It's like a prog rock piece. It seems like it would be um, fit quite nicely in something like Final Fantasy. I imagine you've got a lot of uh, yeah, electric yeah. organs. And there's a lot of kind of ambient sort of sounds that are woven in there. So there's things like, uh, I'm not really sure what they are. It's just sort of generic wildlife. It sort of brings to mind a bit of, of frogs. The Autogaran itself, um, I, I tend to find that it, it's like an enemy that I need to 
get through. I don't spend a lot of time farming it. It, it has um, some useful bleed armor, but there's there's not a great deal there that I have a, uh, too much interest in. Um, the observation that you made about it being a, like a dog is quite astute. I think it's also like a skinned honey badger in its ferocity yeah. as well at the yeah. same point. Odegaran is, is kind of fascinating because if you're willing to play around with it, there's quite a lot of stuff there that you can do. So it has a propensity to turf war, which is the, the game's mechanic where two large monsters will fight with one another. So you can use two monsters against one another. It uh, is a very hungry boy, just like Devil Joe. So it will react to raw meat and tainted meat at the same point. But there's a, there's a fascinating mechanic there. If you give it raw meat that has no status effect with it, the blood from the raw meat will cause it to enrage. So you're making your job a hell of a lot more harder if you're willing to do that. It's it's a really neat fight. It's an impeccably designed monster as well. I just don't have a great deal to say about it because it's it's a monster that I tend to just go through as opposed to labour over. So this is Murmurs from the Land Forbidden from Monster Hunter World. So we're entering into Elder Dragon territory again. We're in the business end here. Yeah. Um, So our next track is Keeper of Hades. Um, This is the theme for Val Hazak. um, And this was composed by Akihika Narita, first featured in Monster Hunter World. Rich, tell us why you picked this one. So... Valazak is unwittingly my favourite monster in Monster Hunter World. And it's not necessarily because I like the design. I think it's quite grotesque, actually. It is a, a rotten dragon. 
So it is a huge quadrupedal dragon that emits a sort of gaseous kind of stink, a nasty, horrible uh, status effect known as effluviation or effluvium rather that um, has the effect of halving your life indefinitely. So unless you get rid of it or you litter the area with um, fireballs that kind of burn away the smoke, you're in for a really rough time. But uh, the armor is exactly why I'm interested in Valazak. It makes you look like the Grim Reaper, and I was all about that. And I have an anecdotal tale about trying to find one single gem, which is a Valazak gem, that it has a 2% drop rate and... At the time that I was fighting it, it took me 48 battles uh, sequentially of this one monster to get that one gem. I've since managed to get about six or seven more across maybe two or, two or three hundred more fights over than that. I'm just very, very familiar with, with Valazak. I think it's a really interesting design. I think it's a really cool looking monster. It is deadly. But the barbs kind of came off it at this point. When you get into triple digits fighting one monster, you can sort of see through the mechanics and, and be able to work through that. I actually really like the track as well. It's a it's it sort of evokes like a pure evil, this kind of bombastic, huge monster that you're about to fight, and it's sort of nice, nicely representative of the rotten veil itself. It's got that kind of plummeting soundscape that gives you a sense of depth because you are in the depths of the rotten veil and, and right underneath the land where you're within any kind of meaning of safety. Yeah, I just think it's great. How about you? Yeah, I uh, Valhazak's design is great. Um, I I spoke before with Zenoga about how I wasn't a big fan of how it kind of moved away from the more kind of, let's say, organic or like inspired by real nature designs of some of the other monsters. But this is an example of something veering away from that that I think is successful. This feels like uh, like a monster from like Lord of the Rings or something like that. It's completely fantastical, but um, it's it feels like a much more effect after fighting like some of the other Elder Dragons like um, Nergagante or um, uh, Teostra or something like yep. that. Uh, monsters that you know are fantastical, but like they've got fur, they've got spikes, they've got scales. They like they have like a bestial quality to them. It was a good change of pace to have something a bit more um, fantastical and just downright, as you say, like it looks evil. Like and the track does a great job of conveying that kind of more creepy, more spooky, more frankly scary nature of this creature so this is uh, Keeper of Hades um, from Monster Hunter World
uh, mentioned uh, Teostra uh, earlier just then. Um, so our next track is uh, Ruler of the Flame, um, which is the Teostra theme uh, composed by Tadayoshi Makino. Um, this first featured in Monster Hunter 2, um, but the version that we're using is from Monster Hunter 4. The reason why I love this track is that it's really melodic. Uh, I, you could groove to this. Um, you could, uh, <laughs> you could do a little jig. Um, I, uh, I, I really like um, that it conveys. Uh, I, I think it does a good job of conveying the pace of the fight, actually, because Teostra's not like. I don't find Teostra to be hyper-aggressive or fast. He just hits really, really hard when he wants to. So there's this kind of, like, weird pace to the fight. I don't know if you find that, Rich. Yeah, I agree. So as yeah. a as an Elder Dragon, he's quite easy to read. There's very little yeah. going on there in terms of the way that you would fight it. He's got some attacks that are primarily fire-based, being a, a fire uh, Elder Dragon. And he'll do things like you'll cover the the ground in um, like an explosive mist and it'll run up, clack its teeth together, ignite the flames, and then all of a sudden you're on fire and burning. The one thing I don't like about it, however, is the supernova. And I imagine any, anyone yeah. who's fought uh, Teostra will know precisely what you're talking about. It'll launch itself up into the air and you've probably got about a second and a half to sheathe your weapon and get as far away from that thing as possible or you are dead. There's no getting around it. You're carding, you're back to the beginning, you're cursing yourself for not reading it earlier, and then you're back in the fight. There is a great... Well, it wasn't great for us at the time, but it's funny looking at it in retrospect but there's a video of us on Twitter uh, me you and Jay and I believe one other person that I'm blanking on the name of you may remember Rich um no, but um, uh, it, it depicted that exact moment that you're talking about there. We were so close to finishing that fight, and then Teostra just does the supernova and wipes us, uh, completely wipes us. Yeah. And you could hear the despair in Jay's voice. <laughs> just like, no, not another 40, <laughs> 45 minutes on this fight. I can't do this. And as if they, they, they knew what was going on, they actually released Lunastra, which is a, 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 the exact same uh, monster, albeit like a slight sort of um, difference in its uh, characteristics and uh, a different colour in the colour palette and Teostra and Lunastra will team up against you and they both do this sort of double helix swirling manoeuvre up in the sky and do an even bigger supernova, which is just impossible Oh no, no no thank you <laughs> What I've said about the track here is um, I think the, the song's quite rhythmic. It's got this almost candor about it that gives a sense of like regality, which is fascinating because the Teostra itself feels very regal. It's got that very um, East Asian sort of lion type quality about it at the same point. And it matches the uh, the sort of theme of, of the, the East Asian dragon, I think, at the same time. I like the track. Um, usually I'm very busy in the middle of those fights, so I don't have time to take in the soundscape as much as possible. But uh, listening to it independently is quite fascinating. This is Ruler of the Flame from Monster Hunter uh, 4.
relaxing again, taking a break from the fight. Um, so the next track is Astera by Night by Akihika Narita and Zanlan Kang. Uh, this first featured in Monster Hunter World. Um, this is my favorite uh, variation of the Astera hub music. I just, I like the feeling of uh, the peace and quiet and the kind of stars in the sky and like the palicos kind of all nestling, you know, going to bed and, and having to sleep. And I, I just like so much of this game kind of takes place in broad daylight um, when things are just kicking off. Um, it's nice to have a track that kind of conveys the feeling of when things are kind of slowing down and everyone's kind of, you know, somebody, you know, people are talking by the fire or having a beer, but things are winding down. Yeah. You know, it's not the excitement or um, bustle, you know, bustle of the day that is conveyed by the the day variant of this track. Um, people are people are laying down to rest, ready for the fight tomorrow. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on this one, Rich? I really like it. It's got that sort of like industrious kind of underpinning tone, and it's certainly more prevalent in the daytime equivalent there. But it's sort of it's cool that it it kind of represents exactly what it is that's happening. You're uh, you're in Astera, which is the the, the town that's settled by these uh, hunter gatherers as they try and sort of forge a new city, a new. Uh, town to to take on some of these bigger monsters and it sort of evokes this sense of you know life things are still going on you've got things like you say you've got the the blacksmith who's just hammering away you've got the meowskiller chef who's uh, preparing a nice vegetarian banquet full of all sorts of meat in the background it's just a cool it's a cool townscape so this is Astera by Night from Monster Hunter World
This is in competition for one of my favorite names for a track uh, so far. Um, so the name of the track is Even Elder Dragons Tremble, which is so brilliantly evocative. And, and right, um, isn't it? Because the monster that this refers to is, is Nergigante, which is the titular sort of uh, spearhead, that kind of figure-masked monster from Monster Hunter World who, whose whole design fundamentally hinges around the concept that it is an elder dragon that hunts other elder dragons. Um, this was composed by Yoku Kamiyama. Um, this, uh, as you say, first featured in Monster Hunter World. Just to speak about Nerga Gante before talking about the track, um, hi, th- th- this is an intimidating design. Um, it's like because I, I and I think I read this somewhere uh, or heard it somewhere, but I believe like the the kind of ethos of this design is: what if an elder dragon stopped caring about all the elemental stuff like ice, fire, and just cared about pure domination like pure power just like muscle spikes teeth horns just overwhelming uh you know violence and strength like and the way it animates the way it moves like there's this like it does these shoulder barges with its spiky wings that is like it feels like it, it feels so unexpected when you first fight it because it just feels something like a desperate animal would do rather like because you're so intimidated by the design that you're not expecting it to to use these kind of wild tactics where it just shoulder barges you and um, and does all these other things like and like the spikes as well. I love that mechanic of it's slowly growing these these fawns um, all over its body and, you know, desperately trying to smash them before they harden black. Um, because if they do harden black um, all over its body, it unleashes this devastating attack where if it hits you, it's almost certainly a one-hit kill. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of one-hit kills, but because there's such a big build-up to this, and also it's kind of, you know, as a player, you can prevent it from happening. I actually like it, um, and the animation, like, it's really clearly telegraphed, um, and you, if you know what you're looking for, you can avoid it quite easily. But that just that system of kind of trying to dismantle it before it unleashes um, its most devastating attack is is really compelling. Um, and then the track itself, um, it does a similar thing um, to the uh, the Devil Joe theme, I think, but it's less. Um, there's a lumbering giant feel to the uh, the Devil Joe theme, um, World Eater. Whereas this track feels panicked, like it's like incredibly tense, like it could do, like it conveys that feeling that I was talking about before, that Nergigante is is almost desperate in its movements, like it's strong, it's powerful, but it's just, it's kind of all over the place, like it doesn't know what it's doing, like it will shoulder barge you, it will slam you, it will do all sorts of things. Um, so I love that this track both conveys the kind of power in the same way that World Eater does, but also the unpredictable predictability the kind of wild nature of nergigante 
Beautifully put. Yeah, and I have to echo a lot of what you're saying. There's a mechanic in the fight as well where it will, as you say, it grows those spikes on its body. And if you allow those spikes to kind of go forward before it unleashes its ultimate attack, which is devastating, as you mentioned, it also gets hyper armor. So you cannot affect that. You need to actually accommodate that. You need to be as aggressive it is as it is and be in that fight because it commands you to be at your peak, which is exactly what you want from an endgame fight on Monster Hunter. I have a, a an anecdote about fighting Nergigante for the first time and, and trying to really figure out how to get around that, that huge, uh, devastating ultimate attack that it's got. And you'll usually find it'll do it when it's about to, to be uh, killed. So it'll retreat through to its... Um, base it'll sleep down uh it'll hunker down and then you, you're either preparing yourself you're, you're you're putting down bombs and and uh those who were playing with it at the time found that we just couldn't quite get through that ultimate attack where it just raises up in the sky lets out this enormous roar and then slams itself into the ground for this huge area of effect attack and when you know what you're doing it's a simply a case of one of you taking a step back ready in a sonic bomb and just getting out of the sky as quickly as possible launching it up there confuse it get it down the ground and hammer it as best as you possibly we can and that feeling of commanding that monster that has an absolute it is built it's built to be a predator it's built to be the apex predator of this world at the same time is just absolutely unparalleled and and perfect for monster Hunter. the track itself is quintessential monster Hunter as well it's that sort of instant panic inducing music that lets you know that your adrenaline needs to kick in and you've really got to think about what you're doing and be mindful of what's going on around you at the same point i absolutely love it so this is even Elder Dragons Tremble from Monster Hunter World.
So we have one last track to play us out. Um, but before we uh, listen to that, um, I just want to thank uh, Rich Davison. Oh, my um, pleasure. For- any chance to chat Monster any time, absolutely. Maybe one day we'll try and sneak this under the, the main Kinnerman show. Yeah, eventually. The thing is, we have to cover the whole series, though. So we have to go entry by entry. Are you up for that? So um, I, I did a conservative estimate of my time on Monster, and it's probably somewhere in the region of about 7,000 hours. And when you put in 1,000 hours into one thing or another, you usually tend to forget about what's happened at the beginning. That's a very intimidating backlog to go through, <laughs> but I, I'll give it a go because that's how much I love this series thank you again and uh thank you um to uh all of you for listening please uh, if you want to contribute to uh future sounds of play uh go over to kerrence.com slash forum and send over your request for tracks you'd like to be featured in uh, future sounds of play um so our last track that is going to play us out is sapphire star by Zenlang Kang. Um, uh, this first featured in Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Uh, it feels like a celebration of the series, so I feel like it's such a fitting way to end this special. It kind of evokes um, a lot of what I love about the, the the music from this series. It evokes the main theme. It evokes some of the battle music. Uh, it just feels like a a a kind of full stop stamp <laughs> that doesn't make any sense it just feels like a a good like like iceborne feels like a moment of celebration for the team the dev team because monster hunter has finally it's been loved for you know loved by its fan base for years and years but monster hunter world and iceborne kind of feel like this moment where they've realized they've gone they've gone mainstream like they're loved by more than just a cult following yeah. this is now this is now a hugely celebrated series and this music feels like it was created to to say that like look thank you thank you for sticking with us um long-term fans and thank you to all the newcomers that have joined us in this latest entry I agree. I think it's an incredibly triumphant piece of music, and rightly so, because let's not forget at this point, Monster Hunter is now Capcom. Capcom, one of the biggest developers in the world, the biggest franchise in terms of monetary value that they've ever had, and it's competing against what? Street Fighter, Resident Evil, all of these absolute mainstays, these seminal pieces of work, and Monster Hunter's right up there. And to see that it's got that sort of... uh, that audience there and that kind of culture that's sort of built around it is just wonderful. So this is Sapphire Star from Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) 